Welcome to the Youth Driven Podcast. My name is Becky White, and today I am honored to have Anthony Silva, the coordinator of the Impaired Driving Engagement Council through the Rhode Island Police Chiefs Association. He has over 40 years experience in law enforcement and has a true passion for traffic safety. He's going to share with us all of his goals for this new position and some leadership tips along the way. So I'm happy to introduce to you Anthony Silva. Welcome to the Youth Driven Podcast. My name is Becky White, and today I'm very excited to have Tony Silva from the Rhode Island Police Chiefs Association, the new coordinator of the Impaired Driving Engagement Council. Tony, welcome. Thank you, Becky. It's a pleasure to be on here with you. It's it's an honor to have you on, sir. And, you know, we met briefly about a week ago, and after meeting you, you had an ample amount of experience in leadership and traffic safety. So, I just wanted to have you on to introduce yourself in this new role, and then also just to share your wisdom on leadership and traffic safety. So thank you for being on. And just tell us a little bit about yourself. Let's see. Uh, I started my career as a police officer almost a little over 40 years ago. At the same time, I married my childhood sweetheart. We had three children who are all adults now. And as a result of those three children, we have nine grandchildren. So we're a a big family, still growing, have a lot, having a lot of fun together, and um, and I'm in a new endeavor right now, and I think we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Yes, yeah. nine grandkids. That must be nine grandkids. Day. And but you know, I think I think the audience probably wants to know um, why I'm in this position. I was a police officer in Lincoln for almost 20 years, and uh, retired from that position. I was I had the uh, the really the fortune of going to my hometown of Cumberland. Uh, to be the police chief there for 10. But but in those 28 to 30 year period, I really had um, an opportunity to focus about 25 years of my career on highway safety. There's no doubt in my mind that the work that I did in highway safety defined my career and really was the springboard uh, to some of the other great things that I was able to do. I ran the police academy for seven years, uh, training our police officers in the state after I left uh, the uniform. And from there, I went on to the Division of Motor Vehicles, where I, I had, again, uh, such a great opportunity uh, to bring my highway safety passion to the Division of Motor Vehicles. And I, I ran that agency for almost three years. And then I had the great fortune of going and working with our great lieutenant governor, who then became governor and working in his office as his chief of staff. But they say life goes in circles. And for some people, it really does. And for me, I've come full circle because I'm back where I started. Almost, you know, almost 40 years ago, I remember the day and police chief called me into his office at the time. I was probably 25 years old. I was a young police officer. And he asked me if um, if I were interested in going to a week long workshop on highway safety. And quite frankly, when I walked in there, my knees were clacking back and forth because I didn't know if I was in trouble. When you get called to the chief's office, it's like going to the principal's office. And uh, and then he proceeded to tell me that I would be going to a week long school in Oklahoma to learn about seatbelt on highway safety. If I had known him much better, I would have thought he was not only pulling one leg, but pulling both of my legs. So he gave me the brochure and he said, um, you know, the federal government will pay your way out there for training for five days. So I went and looked at it and I thought, gee, what an opportunity. So I said, sure, I'll go. And then I found later, found out later that he had asked everyone else in the police department and then he got the lowest person on the totem pole. <laughs> I had no choice. I had no choice but to say yes. Uh, and that's true because no one wanted to go away for five days to talk about seatbelts. 
And it, be, and it got worse when I went home and told my wife that I was going to a five-day workshop. Of course, we had our first child, at least our first child at that time, baby. And she really thought I was going on a, a golfing junket with my buddies. And I, you know, I wasn't really telling the whole truth. Right. But the fact is, I actually went out to Oklahoma. I was in a workshop, 20 other people. There were 21, 21 of us in the class. And, you know, when you're out there and you're talking about belts, occupant protection and those types of things, you, you also talk about pedestrian safety. You talk about speeding and speeding vehicles and speed enforcement. And you talk about impaired driving, right? So for the week that I was out there in Oklahoma meeting with all of these other highway safety professionals uh, from colonels of the state police all the way down to the little patrolman like myself, I, I really got a, a lot of information in that jam-packed week on highway safety. And I tell people today, it created a monster. And the monster was me um, because I realized that as a public safety officer, as a police officer, my job was not only to enforce the laws, but to go out and educate and make people aware of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have to tell you, um, I, I don't think I ever had a boring day when I was working on issues related to highway safety. Right. Um, we were able to, we, we were just able to be able to accomplish so much. With this new role, you go to the training. What were your responsibilities after going to this training? So that's a great question because almost immediately the Office on Highway Safety reached out to me because the, the funding for the training came through USDOT NHTSA. And, um, and then I was one of the people from Rhode Island who went out, the only person from Rhode Island who went out to represent our state at that particular workshop. So they immediately started asking me, could, could you go and do a presentation on occupant protection? Because that was the focus of that workshop. So uh, I found myself at the police academy. I found myself I think, teaching occupant protection, a four-hour class on occupant protection. And then um, next thing you know, I'm, I'm at the local Rotary Club doing something on occupant protection. Um, I'm at the Kiwanis. Back then, Kiwanis was very big. I don't know if it still is, but all of those types of clubs, associations. I'll never forget, I went into the LaFoyer Club in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. And that was an association, a fraternal association, men and women. And they wanted someone to come in and be a guest speaker on highway safety. They didn't ask for occupant protection. They asked for highway safety. Well, they got me. And when I went in there, my focus was on occupant protection. I actually got booed by some of the people in that crowd. Really? I mean, yes. But, and you have to, you know, you, you got to keep things in focus here. At that time, the belt usage rate in Rhode Island was 14%. Four, that means 86% of the people, almost nine out of 10, we're not wearing belts, and just as many were not putting their own children in uh, child, child safety seats, you know, mm-hmm. any kind of child safety seat, right? So when I got up there and I started talking about the importance of wearing a seatbelt, I'm getting, you know, you know, sit down, and the president, 350 people in that. In that oh. but, um, but I was able to, call, to get them calm, and I threw a couple of statistics, and that's how I was trained. I was trained to go out there and separate the myths from the facts. Mm-hmm. And that's what we do in highway safety, because there are a lot of myths out there, you know? Right. And when you were training in Rhode Island, did you eventually go national as well? Oh, I did. I, I you know, I really got, I had the, um, really had the opportunity to travel around the country, um, not only doing trainings around the country for um, primarily law enforcement, but some, many times there were mixed groups. But I also had the opportunity to go out and, and you know, um, get certified as a, 
a drug recognition expert, a DRE. And that was enlightening because I was in the first group back in the early 90s of DREs for the state. But I got trained in public information officer for highway safety. So I was training police executives around the country on how to be a, a good public information officer for your agency when it came to highway safety matters. But, uh, you know, I got training, particularly in impaired driving, right? That was, that was a big one. I went out and got a lot of training. That It all comes together. And every once in a while, you, you focus on one piece of the pie. Uh, and, and there may be a reason why maybe mm-hmm. maybe um, you know, the number of crashes that you've had that have resulted in um, an impaired driving death or speeding or lack of use of protection, occupant protection, you know, you do have to shift gears once in a while and move from one piece of the pie to the other. Right. right. And when we last met, you shared an amazing story with me about a young woman who heard one of your PSAs about seatbelt safety. Would you mind sharing that story? Yeah, you know, I'd love to. I've told it a thousand times. Um, And this is a very simple one, I think. You know, there was a local gym that I I used to go to early in the morning. And um, at the time, it it was 2001. So I remember because I was the president of the Police Use Association. And as a result, I did a PSA that ran statewide for all the communities. And um, I was laying on one of the uh, the bench the benches there, lifting some some weights, and um, and of course they're playing the local Providence station on, on FM because back then that's what you listened to, right? And uh, B one hundred and one, we still listen to it, right? Yeah, and, uh, sure. And um, and they said all of a sudden my voice came on, and it was like, "Hi, this is Chief Anthony J. Silver of the Cumberland Police Department, representing the Round Police Association." But you know, click it or ticket if you don't wear your seatbelt you're going to get a ticket, right? And so that was the big click of the ticket program that we had on back then. And I'm sitting down going, oh, I hope nobody knows me in this place, right? Because the timing <laughs> was, and, and you know, well, as I was sitting there, a woman walked over and she knew who I was from, from Cumberland, from town. She knew I was a chief. And she said, I just heard your message. That was you on the radio. That's pretty cool. You hear your police chief on a radio while you're working out and he's right there, right? So I said, yeah, I said, you wear your belt. You wear your seatbelt, don't you? No, I don't. And then, you know, Real quick conversation about separate the myths and the facts. The biggest myth with women, by the way, is it wrinkles my suit. It wrinkles my clothes, you know? So we, we had a little discussion about those things. I want, now I want to make sure you, I want to see you wearing your seatbelt. You know, I gave you that little warning, right? And um, I still see that woman to this day, by the way. I'm going to say a couple of months later, maybe three months later, my wife and I are walking out of church on a Sunday morning, right, right around the corner. And she came up to me. She put a hand on my hand and she said, I just want you to know. She goes, I started wearing my seatbelt the day that you and I had that conversation in the gym. I said, well, good. She goes, and I had a crash. Of course, everybody calls it an accident. In my field, we don't call them accidents. They're crashes, okay? So she said, I had an accident, right? And I said, okay. And and then she told me, she said, that they told me that if I hadn't been wearing my seatbelt, my face wouldn't look like it does now. She goes, it's all because of you. I I wanted you to know that, you know? I, I will, I'll, I'll tell you this, um, Becky, that's when you get goosebumps. That's when the hair goes up on the back of your neck. That's when you get a little chill that runs from your toes all the way up to your tip of your nose, because you made a difference. You really made a difference for someone. You know, the proverbial police officer standing on the street corner writing a ticket to someone. Yeah, we do that sometimes because that's part of the job, right? And it's part of it's enforcement. It's one of the things that a police officer does. That education piece, it's sometimes it's immeasurable. And I think we talked about that the other day because you can't measure what you're preventing. But when someone walks up to you and tells you that, that's measurable. Mm-hmm. And, and that's 
whether you're talking to a, a five-year-old because you want the five-year-old to make sure his mommy and daddy put their belts on. Yeah. Right. Hey, you got me in a car seat. Well, where's yours? Right. right. Or, or, or you're talking to a 90-year-old adult to get them to wear their belts. Everybody in between is important. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. It's so hard in the profession of prevention yeah. and education because oh, you true. never usually get those stories. So it's right. really a blessing that she was willing to share that with you. And I'm so glad she's okay, but it really is an amazing story that just keeps you going. Yeah, it is. You know, and you know, conversely, you, you have the other stories too. And, and every once in a while, like uh, on lit road in Cumberland went off the road uh, in his pickup truck, his dad's pickup truck and, and, and ended up dying at the scene, you know, when they, when they arrived and he was 16 or 17 years old. The father came in to see me that before I could even reach out to the father, he came to see me at the police station. And it was a tough one because I said, I told the father, I said, I want you to know I'm going to be calling the press. I'm going to let the press know that your son was unbelted, that your son was ejected, that he went through the windshield. And but for the fact that he didn't have his belt on, he would be alive today. That this man is crushed. He's crying. He's sitting in front of me. He's got his brother with him. And he starts to beg me not to do that. Right. He's embarrassed. And, you know, I went through the whole thing of plenty of room to live in the compartment of that truck. I talked with the rescue people. They said, hey, there's no reason why that belt would have allowed him to gradually slow down when he went, you know, those forces, the G forces that are, are occurring. He said, never would have touched the steering wheel. Everything was intact in the compartment of that car. But mm-hmm. the pole ended up in the center of the hood and he went through the windshield, right? So when we got all said and done, I, you know, I said to him, don't let your son's death go unnoticed this way. This might save someone else's life. I did what I had to do, much to their dismay. He still did not want me to do it. It was, mm-hmm. it was a very, very embarrassing moment for the family in the town. But the local papers carried headline news, quoted me, and I was the highway safety guy at the time. Right. Um, they quoted me saying, look, preventable death, mm-hmm. preventable. He hadn't died. I mean, you know, maybe he had a minor injury, but this was one of those deaths where they walk away and we say, how did they get out of that crash? Well, they were in a belt. Or, you know, one of the other things was happening. They weren't speeding. They were speeding. They were in bed. They weren't in bed. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. It's your safest. It's your best defense against yep. other drivers yep. on the road. Yeah, so true. Yeah. yeah. And the way cars are made now, especially, they're meant to crack around you and right. to cocoon you in that car. But right. if you're wearing your seatbelt. Yeah. Room to live. Yeah. So thank you for that. And could you tell us a little bit about your new role with the Rhode Island Police Chiefs Association and what your goals are, what the mission is? Tell us all about it. Oh, I'd love to. Uh, um, so I am the Impaired Driving Engagement Council Coordinator. Big term. And my Big gosh, title. <laughs> we, we all know if you're on highway safety, there's a glossary about this thick just of those acronyms, right? Yes. So you can go, go look them up and figure out who you're talking about. Here's, <laughs> here's another one I can add to my list. Oh, yeah. um, but, um, you know, um, I'm going to be focusing on, and I think this is pretty neat, by the way, because the majority of my focus in my career on highway safety focused on, the majority of it was on law enforcement. 
And you know, the prevailing thinking at the time was if you get the, if you get the guys in uniform and the gals in uniform to go out there and promote all of the good things that go along with highway safety, speed, belts, impaired, impairment, et cetera, pedestrian safety, people are gonna follow and come along. And I think we've learned through time that that's, again, that just becomes a piece of it. That's a piece mm -hmm. of the pie. So my focus is gonna be on community. And um, what, because of what I've done in my career over the years, um, you know, somebody said, Tony, you're that um, proverbial round plug for the round hole for this job. I said, I don't know. I said, you know, evaluate me in six months and let me know if, I, if I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. But I feel like I am. And I feel like I am because I've got a network around the state where um, of, of folks that I've dealt with. And, you know, I can, they're all on my cell phone. Most of, most if not all of the directors of these groups, these mm -hmm. community groups, I call them, they know who I am. And I say, listen, can I come out and give you a 25 minute, 30 minute discussion on at your luncheon, at your dinner meeting or whatever the case may be, at your business meeting. I'd love to come out and talk about, um, um, and I'm not sure how I'm gonna actually word it yet, but it's basically gonna be on impaired driving efforts in the state of Rhode Island. Let's save people, right? Um, and that's going to allow me to take something that I'll never forget my, my traffic, a traffic education teacher who in the, in the police academy, Captain Ronnie Petrocki from Johnston said to, said to us all in the class, there are three things that you need to know when it comes to traffic safety, okay? Highway safety. And the first one is engineering. The second one is education. And the third one is enforcement. And it's important that you look at it those ways chronologically, okay? The first one is an engineer is engineering. We could talk about that if you want. And then of course comes along the education. And the last resort is enforcement. Try to get people to comply because it's the right thing to do. It's healthy for you, it's good for you, it's good for your family, it's good for your neighbors. Try to get them to do that. And then when all else fails, well, then you broke the law. Then we we may have to arrest you, we may have to write you a citation or do what we have to do to, to force compliance because some people. The only way they're going to comply is if they have to obey the law. Okay, so so that so that's my focus here. Really, is um, to engage folks like you. Um, but uh, you know, and I met with I've already met with some other people that I met that day and rekindled some relationships that we had over the years on highway safety matters. So I'm I'm really excited because the one thing about the job that I'm in now, working with the Rhode Island Police Chiefs Association. Um, as that coordinator, is that the opportunities are limitless. Mm -hmm. it, it's not like, it's not like, gee, what, who can I go talk to tomorrow? Because the, I know the minute I go out and start delivering some of these presentations, my phone is going to be ringing off the wall, right? They're going to, can you come to it? Can you do, can you do that? So I think um, I'm excited. I'm excited about it. Good. We want that yeah. excitement. We need that new enthusiasm, but also your experience. And your leadership skills are so key to this whole equation. Yeah, thank you. Thank yeah. you for saying that. No, absolutely. And with the legalization of cannabis, I wanted to kind of just get your opinion, you know, around impaired driving that includes cannabis and it, it is already on our roadways in Rhode Island and across our country, but what concerns you the most of the legalization of cannabis in Rhode Island? Well, I, I think... The way we went about legalizing cannabis in Rhode Island is no different than 
a lot of other laws that get passed, not only in Rhode Island, but around the country, okay? Um, and so, I, I, so I'll give you one example of how I see this. So going back to when I was uh, promoting highway safety education and like passing of legislation, and I got, I, used, I went to the, went to the state house plenty of times with plenty of hearings on behalf of the Police Use Association, on behalf of um, myself, right, at, at, in my own agency. But, you know, um, I can remember vividly going to the state house to try to get a law passed on an open container in a vehicle, okay, open alcoholic container in a vehicle. Because we felt that if there was open alcohol in the car, there's probably a likelihood that the driver is probably drinking uh, an alcoholic substance as well, right? So the question was, should someone be able to be allowed to drive down the road with an open container in the vehicle, right? Makes sense. I mean, the two, the two, you know, the things both go together, right? But it took a long time to get that legislation passed. We finally got it passed and it was, it was good legislation. And again, it became, now it becomes an educational matter and it also becomes an enforcement matter, right? Well, if you look at the cannabis law, the cannabis law got passed much like a lot of other laws that have gotten passed and they don't always include what's necessary on the periphery. So imagine use the spokes on, on the wheel of your bicycle, right? Cause there's lots of spokes, right? So in the center of that wheel is the cannabis legislation. And then you get all these spokes, all unanswered questions. They all lead to a question mark. And now we need to go and we need to answer those question marks. And we can't wait, wait, we need to begin, you know, talking about it. I don't like to use the word lobbying because sometimes that has a negative connotation, but in reality, we have to focus on it. We have to talk about it because it just like I can't drive down the street, driving my automobile with um, an open bottle of beer, let's say in my console, I can't do that. It's against the law. If I get stopped, it's against the law, but I can have an open container of cannabis. And I got, I got, I got to tell you, I don't want someone driving down my street where my grandchildren are, with either, right? Yet one right. is, one is okay, and one is, I shouldn't say okay, one is against the law, for lack of a better term, a violation, and the other one, there's nothing that supports that. So I, you know, I'm not going to get into the political issue of whether I think marijuana should have been legalized. There's no sense to do that. We're surrounded by it. it it's going it's to here. come sooner. Or it's here. Yeah, it's here. It's, it's going to come. Yes, it's going to come sooner or later. But I think we need to provide folks like yourself, people like me, the men and women who wear a uniform. I think we have to provide them the tools in order to keep our highways safe. Right. Right. And learning. Yes. From other states that have already legalized it years ago. Yes. And what's so, so true. We can see the mistakes that have happened. We can see how they were able to um, remedy those issues and those mistakes. And we, we can learn by that. No, it's it's a huge mountain that is now here in Rhode Island. So I thank you for your perspective. And, you know, around the whole cannabis and driving, I did want to also ask you, do you feel that the term designated driver translates past drinking and over to marijuana and other drugs? Well, the answer to your question is yes. Right. Okay. So, so absolutely. Right. So, so the term designated driver is an interesting term because I don't know when that term came came around. I can tell you that we we use it all the time, right? So everybody 
has a different definition for designated driver. That's what that's been my experience. Okay. Mm -hmm. Designated driver means you don't drink. Mm -hmm. Chances are you're going to have three of the people in your car who have been drinking alcohol. So their thinking is not what it should be. That person who's driving has to be 100% focused. So that's difficult for some people to do. That's why I say everybody, most people have a different definition of what designated, what designated driving means I can have two. Right. <laughs> that, gray, that gray area of right, oh, right. Too, oh, but oh, what kind oh, yeah, of alcohol, sure. you know, your body weight, all that matters. Yeah. Oh my gosh. What's in your belly? What you, right. Did you eat? Are you going to eat? Did you eat first? I mean, we all know that that has a lot to do with everything, right? Mm -hmm. So, so does it translate over to cannabis and to, and to um, other drugs? Well, obviously, certainly it does. There's no difference, okay? All of the drugs, whether legal or illegal, cause impairment. I don't know of any, remember, I'm a, I'm a DRA, not practicing anymore, but I, I taught for 30 years at the college level. And one of the classes I taught included a section on alcohol. And I talked about the, what we're talking about right now, okay? Alcohol in the body and, and its effects. And I talked about the DRE program. So a lot of this stuff is very fresh in my memory because I've stayed in touch with it for so long, right? Right up until last year, mm -hmm. I was teaching. Again, you know, we talked about the toolbox before, right? And so what's in the toolbox for designated driver? So we have these conversations all the time with friends and be quite honest with you. Most of the time, if I'm out with friends, I'm out with former cops. Those are my circle of friends. We talk about these things. And, and, I, and I have three adult children, as you know, right? And they have families. By the way, my wife is going to call them all and make sure listen to this podcast. I want you to know that. Okay? Oh, good. Because, Shout oh, out to yeah. them. <laughs> like, well, because well, I was telling her what we were going to be talking about. She goes, I got to get the kids to listen to this podcast. And it's, and, and it's not because that she wants them to listen to dad. She wants them to listen to the topic, right. obviously, right? Sure. So I, you know, I say to my kids all the time, go have a good time. Have a few, have a few drinks. Call an Uber. Right. Or There's that. so many different things that we can do now. They have options that we yes. never, I never had, right. that they had as an adult, right? And many times I'll tell them, stay over for the night. If you're going to a wedding, my God, and it's a, you know, you're going to be there seven hours, get a room and stay over. And I always say, remember, I'm always available to drive anywhere. No questions asked. Right. Pick you up, pick you up, bring you home. I'll even take you back to get your car tomorrow morning, right? So those are some of the things we can do as not only as parents, but as brothers, sisters, and friends. Right. Just making right? sure. Yeah. And I always tell yeah. the youth of youth driven, you know, never get into a car with an impaired driver. Yes, it might take you a lot longer to get home if you don't have a ride anymore, but it is so much better than the alternative of you yeah. taking that risk of getting into a car. Right. Yeah. And that's every parent's worst nightmare. So yep, to get that exactly. Home. So it's not worth it. Make a plan. If you're over the age of 21 and you choose to drink, make a plan to get a designated driver or get an Uber, you get a Lyft, stay over. Like you said, um, it's very easy, very easy. That's right. You just have to make a little plan, but yeah. thank you for that. And what motivates you to drive safely every time you get behind the wheel? Well, I mean, do you want to know the answer from when I was 16 or when I smartened up and became an adult, because that's it. I think that's where I'm going to start. How about right? we get? How about we get your teenage version of why you choose? Because this is youth well, driven. These are high school kids. Yeah. So you know, what would be your high school answer, and what would be your answer now as a grandfather so, and father? So remember, when I was in high school, that was a long time ago, right? That was the early '70s, right? 
and graduated from high school in 74. So that's a long time ago. Um, but I'm not so sure that things have changed that much with high school students today as it was back then, okay? Um, I think back then, I quite honestly, I was immature. Um, I didn't, you know, I was fe fearless. Nothing's going to happen to me. That's what a teenager, that's how a teenager thinks. That's how teenagers today think, okay? And they don't want to listen to people like me. They don't want to listen to people like me. I'm going to say that to you again. Because, <laughs> as, because as I got involved in this um, through the years, and I would do presentation after presentation after presentation, right? You know when you've got the audience in the palm of your hands, okay? I could always get the adults engaged. And, and they, would want, they wouldn't want me to stop. They'd want to keep me. But the kids were like, is, is the bell going to ring so I can go to my next class or I can go to gym or I can go to lunch, right? But I, but I want to say this, and I'm not saying this because I'm talking to you and the group that you represent, Youth Driven. But the first time I realized how important it was for teens to talk to teens about this matter was when I went to Teen Spirit Week up at Bryant College back then mm -hmm. with Mothers Against Drunk Driving. And I did that for a number of years. And that was when I... Wow. When I saw these kids breaking out into their groups and teaching each other and they were engaged and they were listening, that was powerful. Right. So anytime as a police chief, for instance, when I had that ability to do what I wanted to do and I had the authority that went with the position, if I could take a, a high school student with me, if I were going somewhere, if I were going to be at the high school, I'd reach out to someone I knew and I'd say, hey, listen, I need, can I meet with you for half an hour after school or meet me for coffee at the local place before school? And I'd give them a little information, give them a little background, and I'd get that person as an ally on my side and maybe have them get up and say a few words because when that was huge. As the teacher, so to speak, it gave me buy-in with the teens, right? So, but more importantly, that peer-to-peer -peer approach mm -hmm. is, is critical. It's no different than my mom who's 93 years old listening to a 17-year-old or listening to someone who's 93 who's wiser. Mm -hmm. My mom will listen. My mom will listen to the ninety-three-year-old. It's the same thing, right? It's just, just a different, it's just a different yeah. way, you know. Absolutely, that's why we teach sure. that here at Youth Driven, and yes. encourage the students to get out there and and yeah. share our messages around distracted right. driving, speeding, all of them. So, thank you. Do you think that there's ever going to be a day where we see zero fatalities on our roadways? You know, I, I've never thought of that before, right? Because, you know, it's if you think about it, it's a hard argument to make based on what we know today. You know, getting to zero fatalities, I think it's, there's no doubt in my mind it's doable. I'll never see it, okay? Unless you live to be 200, I don't think you're going to ever see it too, okay? Yes, I, uh, I hope okay. I do, but. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know we all hope I do. I know. So, I mean, do, do we strive for that? Of course. Of course, that's our ultimate goal, right? But I think with technology changing so quickly, um, these vehicles that are going to be driving themselves, I might see that, right? Right. I'm pretty, I'm pretty certain my children will see it, and I know my grandchildren will see it. Right. Um, but I think, you know, government, by the way, and we all know this, government bureaucracy, um, because there's always two sides, is very reluctant to accept, you know, the technology. It's take time and we there the technology is already out there that if you've been drinking alcohol or using some other control substance and you get into that vehicle 
it's not going to start. It, it recognizes it, knows you're impaired, and is basically saying, sorry, not today. You know, go take, go, go take a nap somewhere or, or get in the back seat and fall asleep. Um, but the problem we know is that when that technology comes out, there are going to be people who still have cars, but the average person keeps their car 12 years, I think. So right. it's going to take a long time for that to evolve through and change. So I, so the answer to your question is yes. Abs we can get to zero fatalities. It's going to take time. Yep. I completely agree with you. And a like lot, in a lot of, in a lot of effort and a lot of effort from people doing me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, as long as we yeah. keep doing what we're doing and the and, keep doing and the law enforcement does too, yeah. And let's focus on your group, right? Yeah. Your youth-driven group. Yeah, the future Maybe drivers. The future drivers, um, in some cases current, currently or just getting right. ready to start driving. Mm -hmm. um, they're they're going to be the people who are going to be able to get us across the finish line. Right. Yep, it's, it's like you said, um, engineering, education, and enforcement. Yes. And I wanted to ask you, how can everyone play a part in making our roads safer? Well, I think, okay. So we can't, we can't ignore the subject. I think we all have to recognize the subject. Television comes on, the news comes on, there's been a bad crash, people change the station. They don't want to see it. They want to ignore it. They, they know about the neighbor next door whose son was speeding and went off the side of the road and perished in the crash, right? Um, you, can't, you can't whisper those things. You, you have to discuss those and you have to talk about how it's avoidable. Um, I, think, I think education and awareness is so important. It's so important. Yeah, and we talked about that, right? Where you touch someone's life just by making them change a behavior. And for them, it becomes life-changing because they realize that, but for the behavior, they may have, they may not have been here to tell me the story, right? right. So, um, you know, I think, I think we have to do what you're, you, you and I are doing right now. So we're talking about the subject and your podcast will reach people who are going to listen to it and hear it, right? Um, and I'm going to be out there working with community groups. And we now have someone as a result of the percentage of alcohol-related deaths, unfortunately, in our state. Um, U.S. Department of Transportation recognized that Rhode Island needed a little help because we're at risk, greater risk than anyone else in our category. I think we were 46% of, um, of all fatalities, excuse me, fatalities of all highway crash deaths, right? So that's almost half. That's right. pretty high, pretty high when, when the average is around 30. So we're a little high. So, but, you know, they, they recognize it and they said, you can do more and I've been tasked to do more, right? Right. And my my and again, my focus is going to be on the community. So, um, yeah, I think we we can certainly work in that area, and um, we we can make change happen. Absolutely, I love that attitude. And with all your leadership skills and experience, and with this being a leadership program here at Youth Driven, could you share just some important qualities that you've seen over the years in really good leadership, and what those are? Thousands of books have been written on that topic, right? And um, and every book has its differences. To me, it's all about communication. We can teach some leadership skills, right? Some leadership skills come intrinsic. You have them or you don't, okay? 
But to me, I think it really boils down to communication. The, the, best, the best leaders I've seen are those who have what we refer to, and I've taught this concept in, in leadership classes, is just have an open door policy. And by having an open door policy, it means my door's open, come on in. If it's something that I really shouldn't be um, making a decision on, I'll send you to the right person to make the decision. But you, but you should always be able to feel like you can walk into, quote unquote, the boss's office and say, I have an idea. And, I and I'll say this to you, Becky. Some of the best ideas, some of the best things we did were just because someone knocked on my door and said, do you have a minute? And I'd say, sure, come on in. One of our presidents said, and I read, I read his book on leadership, and it was um, Eisenhower. And there was a quote in there that I never forgot. And it was, you know, you can't throw the rope at people and expect them to grab on, okay? You have to gently pass it out there, let them grab on, and then bring them along. And when that guy not, or that gal knocks on my door and says, you got a minute, I got an idea. And they come in, I go, I like the idea. What, what, do you, what can I do to help you get it done? Are you willing to take it on? Yeah. You need to be able to communicate and it has to be two-way conversation and you have to have an open door policy, period. Yes, and be willing to listen. Willing to be willing to listen. Um, I do want to ask you one last question and it is around yeah. leadership. Who is a leader that you really look up to and you learned a lot from over your 40-year career? You had to ask me that question. <laughs> and if you don't want to answer, that's fine. I can take this out and do another question. <laughs> No, you know, it's not, it's not that I don't want to answer the question. Um, but it's, it's, it's a boring answer to most people. It, you want me to answer the question? I do. <laughs> now I know I definitely want you. All to right. So, question. so it was, it was a person who was in the military and he was a general and it was, he was a general during World War II. And I've read lots of books on him and his name is George Patton. And, um, and for all the right reasons, He's the guy that I looked up to. He had he had very strong convictions about the men and women around him, mostly men, because they were soldiers, right? And I think it takes, to be a good leader, you gotta take chances. You can't be afraid of your own shadow. Um, you, know you, you, you know you're gonna make mistakes and you're gonna fall down, uh, but you gotta pick yourself up and keep moving in the right direction. And, and the right direction is that you could write volumes about what the right direction is. It's the, it's the high road because the ro low road is bumper to bumper, as we know. It's uncompromising integrity in every decision and situation you make. It's doing the right thing. And you could write volumes about that too. But that would be someone that, um, you know, I would say, if you said to me, who it is it? Who is it? I would tell you, and I'd say, here's one of my favorite books. Read, read the book on him. The name of the book is Partners in Command. Partners in Command. I will add it and, to the description. And, and so I was having breakfast with a friend who, a foot soldier in Vietnam, and I, I walked into coffee one morning and he's sitting in and he says, and he hands me the book. And he said, I just want you to read the first 50 pages. And he knew I was a, an admirer of Patton. Just read the first 50 pages. So, so I went home, I was on a day off and I started reading. Well, I just didn't read the first 50. I think I read the first probably 160 pages, I think. I couldn't put it down. Right. Wow. Yeah. And it was just full of leadership examples. Great stuff on how to mo motivate people, empower them, get them to follow you. Be a good, be a good follower of them, too, because not only do people follow us, we have to follow them. Right. They work for us if you're a leader. And so I, the next time I saw him, I said, you I brought the book back because I finished it. I said, you fooled me. You that that wasn't a nice thing to do. 
And he's looking at him, he's going, what are you talking about? I said, you knew I could not read the first 50 pages. You knew it. And he's big grin on his face. And he goes, was that a good book or what? And he said, I want you to keep it part of your library. So I have it. And every once in a while, I'll just open it up anywhere. And I'll read, you know, beginning a chapter and I'll read that chapter. It's that good. Partners in command. Well, now I'm going to have to check it out. Thank you. Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much, Tony, again. And I wish you nothing but the best in this new role. I'm so excited for you and the Police Association. You're the perfect person for the role. So thank you again. I appreciate you saying that. I need all the compliments I get as I'm getting back into my circle of life here. (laughs) Well, happy to give them to you. Thanks. Thanks, (laughs) Becky. Thank you for this opportunity. Of course. Thanks again. All right. Awesome. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear more, please subscribe wherever you like to listen to podcasts. And if you'd like to learn more about Youth Driven and all the traffic safety prevention work that we do, you can check out our website at www.youthdriven.org. Until then, take care of each other on the roads and continue to lead by example. Thank you.